as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six fold Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I'm Andy Wilson of Graphic Policy and Big Shiny Robot And it's here, it's finally here We can talk about it and we can go crazy and blah 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 Spider-Man Homecoming Yes (laughs) <laughs> so so excited so when we last left spider-man dun, he dun, stole dun. he stole cap shield and our hearts and the entire movie in captain america civil war and our movie thankfully opens up uh with a kind of vlog narrated by spider-man from his point of view of everything that's happening like off screen and everything that's going on and him like bouncing on the bed in his hotel room in Germany and like finding out he that Mr. Stark made him a new Spider-Man suit and all this other cool stuff um and so ever since then uh he has been waiting around for Tony Stark to call and give him more stuff to do and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and of course in typical teenage fashion he can't wait to show off how great he is. So uh, every day he's checking, checking in with Happy Hogan and saying like, hey, I'm, I, I foiled a bank robbery. Hey, I, I, helped a, I helped a old lady get her purse back. And she gave and, me a churro. <laughs> and she, and uh, he really wants this chance to prove himself and uh, he's not getting it. So there's a lot of teen angst around that. And um, then he finds out that there's someone in the neighborhood selling high-tech weapons. Turns out there's a guy who uh, was cleaning up after the Chitari incident and ended up getting a bunch of cool tech from that and has been using it to, to turn into weapons. He's really worried about it. Stark isn't giving him the time of day about it, so he decides that he's got to do something about it. And uh, that is essentially your movie right there. Yeah, so I love this. Uh, I thought it was really great. Tom Holland is oh my god, Tom Holland, a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I'm really glad. I feel like they finally got someone who really nailed Spider-Man as a kid, and this movie really feels very teenagery. And it reminded me what it was like to be a teenager. And have all of those expectations and all of that desire to prove myself and feeling like uh, I'm I'm made for so much more than this and I can do so much more. I'm here. I'm ready to help. And uh, yet kind of being a screw up and uh, not actually being able to do the things that that you think you're you're going to be able to. I thought they they really played that up and it made it a very interesting very different kind of spider-man because he's not just like going after a villain he's dealing with personal stuff and and Mm -hmm. i think that's always great when you can get to the heart of a character and a personal battle that they're that they're going through and how that personal battle mirrors what they're actually going through in the plot of the movie i think that's one of the things that the marvel cinematic universe has been able to do so masterfully, especially in the Captain America movies. And, uh, you know, this this feels like it fits 
right alongside them, but it's also a little bit different. Uh, I want to talk a little bit later about how it both is and isn't the MCU, but before we do that, I want to hear what what you're thinking about this movie, Adam. So I've been a Spider-Man fan since I was a little kid. I mean, I played the comics. I love everything about it. Uh, and, you know, we walked out of the screening and the st- studio reps were like, hey, what'd you think? And the essence of everything I could say, cause I could talk, we, we could do this podcast for longer than the movie is because I have so much to say about it. Uh, but I just simply said, this is the Spider-Man movie I've wanted to see my entire life. Uh, and this isn't... Uh, talking crap on the Raimi films because Spider-Man 2 is still one of the best superhero movies of all time but because they were able to partner with Marvel have Kevin Feige work on it with them and give input on what just makes a movie like this work it is just so absolutely wonderful and fantastic you know you mentioned Tom Holland being so good in his role and like I can't overstate that you know we saw him in Civil War and I immediately want to say, like, this is the Spider-Man I've been waiting for. This is this is the definitive actor in this role. But I kind of hold back for a minute because I was like, he was in the movie for ten minutes. I need to see him in his own movie. And he just owns it. He nails what it feels like to be a 15-year-old. And, you know, even though that was a long time ago for me, there was still that stubbornness and eagerness and kind of obnoxiousness that comes with being that age and trying to figure out you know, hey, I'm not an adult yet, but I'm not a kid. I'm going to reach out and do my own thing, but I'm going to screw it up. And yeah, he screws up a lot in this movie. And the cool thing is he owns up to it, but he, he's just, he's a perfect Spider-Man and a perfect Peter Parker. And I'm so glad that we didn't have to see Uncle Ben getting killed again. We didn't have to see the spider. Uh, no, this this takes place after he's already kind yes. of established in the yeah. role. You know, it's after Civil yeah. War. He's got girl problems. His best friend Ned, who's played by Jacob Battalion, he is just so cool and amazing. And he's my new favorite character. Oh, he, he was is. he was so great because <laughs> he's so he's so eager and earnest to help. And honestly, if I was that age and found out my best friend was Spider Man, I'd be doing the same thing as him. Like, like they're they're in class. He's like, hey, can can you control an army of spiders? No, 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 Ned, leave me alone. Don't talk about this right now. Like, he can't keep a secret to himself, and. It's cool because to be, you know, as a, as a bigger guy myself, like, it's fun to see the sidekick character who's a bigger guy, and it's never brought up. It's never like, you know, he doesn't have any body issues. He's not shamed for it. Uh, kids kind of make fun of him because that's how kids are. Because he's was a nerd. Nerd. Yeah. It was never about anything else. And that was, that was really cool to see. Um, but everything is just so well done. I mean, Michael Keaton as the vulture. So, first of all, we're going to have to have, you know, oh, Birdman. Wow. Birdman uh, correlations, but the Vulture's kind of a stupid villain. I've never liked him. They made him so cool and badass, and Michael Keaton just brings his gravitas to this this thing, and he's such a he's a relatable villain because he's doing what he's doing to take care of his family, and you know, he was he was fired by Tony Stark, essentially, which is why he doesn't like Tony Stark, and he gives a great speech to Peter Parker about how the rich people don't care about us. We need to, you know, not band together, but you have to understand where I'm coming from kind of thing. And he he has honor. I mean, there is a scene where he tells Peter, like, hey, I'm not going to kill you because of this. Um, a life for life type of thing. And that's really, really cool to have a villain like that who isn't just one-dimensional. And unfortunately, we've seen that a lot in the MCU movies where you know, Ronan the Accuser just wants to go blow things up because he hates, the, you know, hates these people, blah, blah, blah. This villain had 
many layers, was nuanced, great performance by Keaton, and I'll, I'll say it, he's up there with Loki as one of the best comic book Absolutely. ever gotten. Uh, I, and, I put him and it's the freaking it's the freaking vulture, it's the vulture and they and, made him so good <laughs> and they na- and they they nailed his costume Mickey he's got like the the, the bomber jacket on with the fur uh, his wings are a bit more badass than what were in the in the comics but it's the vultures the lamest villain out there and you made me care about him and actually like him so oh there's and, so much here and and they made it cool why he's the vulture because he's the vulture because he's going out. And yes, he flies, but he's he's picking up the scraps of every time that there is, you know, an incident uh, with alien tech or something. He's going and he's picking it out and stealing it and turning it into stuff and turning it around and selling it. And he's doing that, like you said, because he's got a legitimate beef with Stark and damage control and shield because they they put him out on his butt. He was just doing a job, and he would have stayed like a normal, honorable guy just doing, like, cleanup and construction, mm-hmm. but they pushed him out, and uh, and so he had no choice, and I think that's such a a beautiful, poignant piece, and, and that speech that he gives with Parker about, like, you know, the 1%, they don't care about us, we need to band together, it's... It's the whole, like, sympathy for the Trump voter thing. It's like, yeah, I get it. You feel like you are being left behind. And you feel like you are being put upon by all of these forces beyond your control. But that doesn't mean that you go and start selling weapons to criminals. Like, no, you can't do that. You You can't empower bad people just because you felt like you were dealt a raw deal in life. Uh, and it's it's very funny to me, and it's not lost on me, that he's talking about the one percent when um, you know he actually lives in a nice house, drives a nice car out in the out in the suburbs, uh, and is actually way better off than Peter and most of the people in in his neighborhood in Queens, mm-hmm. living in you know tiny little efficiency apartments, and and the effects that his weapons have there. You know they're blowing up bodegas in in Peter's neighborhood, and and they're hurting the actual little guy. And so, you know, here he is saying he's fighting for the little guy. He's not the little guy. He's the upper middle class guy saying he's the little guy that is trying to justify the fact that he feels like his loss of privilege is a reason for him to become a supervillain. Exactly. Again. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. I mean, this, oh no, no, this I think you're, I think you're spot on. <laughs> yeah, but this script and everything was shot like way before like the rise of Trump. But the, you know, it goes back to um, something someone was saying about like Rogue One and like how a, a screenwriter, you know, looks up into the night sky and sees a a blink of light and says, "Huh, that's a meteor heading straight for us." And that's the only reason why we get something like this is that someone was attuned to this. One of the like six script writers on this movie, because there were a lot of them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, built this in there. And uh, again, it's a silly Spider-Man movie with the freaking vulture. And I found something to like 
nerd out about in like, oh, there's some like geopolitical commentary going on here about, you know, what's going on in America. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. And that's, it's fun too, because that's what a good movie can do is it can be about, like we said, the vulture, which is the, I'm going to say it again, the dumbest comic book villain ever, like almost as bad as condiment man. Um, but you Stilt can, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. Uh, you can... A good movie like like this can have, yes, the overtones of, hey, this is Spider-Man trying to, in, trying to save basically the, his, his home, his hometown, from being taken over by these gangs with horribly violent weapons that are destroying things, like the, like the bodega you mentioned. Uh, but it's so cool when you can look at it and then also see that undertone of like, hey, it could also be about this. And, you know, we, we both mentioned this uh, last week with, well, you did at least with Baby Driver, was that it's, Baby Driver is what it was. It was just a story about a getaway driver trying to escape and go leave on the road with his girlfriend. That's it. There's nothing to it. And honestly, that's fine to have movies like that. We call them popcorn movies for a reason. But when you've got something like this where you can peel the layers back and get more meaning out of it as you go deeper and deeper down, uh, that's a huge testament to the screenwriters and also, you know, the producers and the people behind it who, like you said, this was written before the rise of Trump, but it was there, it was coming, and we could see it, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the the 1% thing uh, and people who are upset about losing their privilege was built into it, and that's what drives the vulture to do what he does. Um... But that aside, there's just what I love so much about this movie was that I've never seen such joy in a Spider-Man film. Uh, there's just, it's, yeah, there's there's dark moments and there's times when things are going crazy and bad things are happening. But Tom Holland brings just such a lightheartedness and joy to his character that we've never seen before. And maybe just where I'm in my life right now, but I really, really needed that. Uh, and I mean, I was grinning like a school kid from the moment it opens because it opens with Peter Parker doing his little uh, self-filming thing. It's you know, filmed by Peter Parker, and he's narrating and stuff with uh, John Favreau as Happy Hogan, who was really cool to see him back in that role again. Uh, but it got what Spider-Man's about, and yeah, there's dark moments where he has to kind of pull the reserves of what he has inside of him to get out of situations. Uh, which we've seen happen in the comics multiple times over the whole run of the series. But it's it's a great, happy movie and has the best uh, last scene in the film I've seen in a long time. <laughs> oh, there's there's so much that's that's good in this movie. Yeah, stay all the way through the credits because that Oh, that's that the best final after credit sequence killed me. Killed me dead. It's, it was it was so good, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. Stay stay, stay through. And, and what's what's great is it didn't it wasn't like setting up the obligatory sequel. It's not, no, not at all. It's not teasing Infinity War. It's just a thing, and it's so beautiful. Oh, I loved it. I'll, I'll put it up it. there. Is it's probably my favorite end credit sequence of all time because oh, it's so good. And oh, and we, we were going to talk about this earlier. Uh, you know, as far as this being now part of the MCU, what I loved so much was the fact that yes, it was very important, and we got Tony Stark, and we got Captain America, and we got Iron Man, and we got Avengers Tower uh, references to everything that happened in previous movies. 
And as much as it fully inhabited that universe, it didn't feel like it was overusing it. It wasn't like, oh, hey, look what we can do. Ha ha, let's just have, you know, Iron Man just show up for no reason. You know, yeah, yes, Teenage RDJ. Girls. Teenage girls playing a game of Mary F. Kill with the Avengers. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> That's <laughs> anyway. Right. And uh, yeah. so yeah, it didn't, but it didn't overuse it. And you know, Tony Stark, uh, RDJ is Tony Stark, is in the movie, and he's a very prominent role. But he's not overused. He just kind of pops in every so often for 30, 40 seconds, and just kind of gives Peter grief, and then goes away again. Uh, so yes, as much as the MCU is very, very vital to what happens in this movie. It's not overused or overplayed, and I think that's something that they were really careful with because they wanted to make sure that you felt this was a Spider-Man movie and not an Avengers spin-off movie. Well, and they really nailed that because it, it had those little bits and it felt like it was part of the universe, but let's be clear. Like, the Avengers, that's Manhattan. That's all happening mm-hmm. over there, and it may as well be a different world for a kid living out in Queens. And and it really is. You know, Spider-Man isn't jumping from skyscraper to skyscraper. Uh, he's mostly got little buildings. And when he's out in the suburbs, you you can see why it might be helpful for him to have a spider car. <laughs> uh, you know, he can't he can't uh, he can't jump from house to house and, and things quite as well. But uh, so it was different. But uh, but still the same. It was the same in that it was layered. It was nuanced. It it really hit the essence of the character, and that's all you can really ask for in one of these adaptations. It's like, why is Spider Man beloved after so many decades and so many movies? What makes him tick? And it's that that intersection of teen angst and nerdiness and snarky humor and and fun, but also adventure and uh, and and they weave all of that in there and make it work. And and, and this movie is funny. It is so funny. I mean, th- this is more of a comedy than any of the other movies and probably has more laughs than any of the other movies in the MCU. Yep. Uh, you know, and things that are very, very specifically played for laughs and none of them are cringeworthy. Uh, the way that, you know, some some of the jokes in uh, other Spider-Man movies have like maybe not turned out as well. <laughs> uh, the the other thing that I liked, and and I thought this was an interesting and different touch, uh, the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. One of the things that always took me out of them is it's like, oh hey, here inexplicably for two minutes, it's Macy Gray. It's like yeah. what? Why is Macy Gray in this movie? Oh, because Sony is trying to sell a movie soundtrack, and they think that putting Macy Gray in here like makes sense. This movie has a pop music soundtrack uh, that is more like a regular movie soundtrack. It isn't a device like it is in in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just kind of there, but it works. And it's like, and, and they're not trying to sell anything. It's just like, hey, it would be fun if, you know, we had the Ramones right here. It would be fun if we had Spoon right here. And we're just going to use those songs as as soundtrack 
the same way we would, you know, the normal score in in a Captain America movie or something like that. And it was a little touch that I really liked, and it never took me out of the movie. It made me really, really happy. In fact, I mean, I love Spoon's The Underdog. I just love that song <laughs> so much. And the fact that that was in here, and I'm like, that is like the perfect Spider-Man song. Um, and, and so, I mean, the Ramones are also a perfect Spider-Man band, too. Uh, if Well, I, I know that I'm going to use it on the soundtrack for this, but they, they recorded um, you know a version of the Spider-Man theme. And yeah, it's it's worth owning if you do not have that. So check that out, kids. Yeah. So anyways, uh, to kind of wrap this up, because, uh, again, like I said earlier, we could easily spend an hour and a half just talking about this movie. Uh, yes, it's it's fantastic. It's the Spider-Man movie I've always wanted to see since I was a kid. Uh, I loved every second of it. And as I mentioned before, the highest praise I can give a movie is... The moment we got out, I wanted to go right back in and write it again. Uh, this is yeah, this is the best thing I've seen all summer. I love love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, also, on my top five of the year, I could probably do a little bit of nitpicking and kind of pull it apart, but I'm not going to. I, it was just so much fun and so joyous, and just exactly what is kind of needed right now. Uh, so I'm doing it. I'm giving it a ten. Go see this movie. It's fantastic. Oh wow. Um... I, I loved it, not as much as you. Eight and a half. This is an incredibly strong movie. But I think eight and a half is like the highest that I've given any movie all year. I might I think I might have done nine on Get Out. Or if I if I didn't I should. I should bump it up. Um I haven't seen like a perfect ten movie this year, I don't think. This is this is about as close for like a popcorn summer movie as you're going to get. And it's, um, it is in many ways the opposite side of the same coin as Baby Driver, uh, where they're both just so impeccably made. Uh, they're both really smart, really fun, and you're going to enjoy yourselves. Um, Spider-Man has much broader appeal because, hey, he's Spider-Man. <laughs> and, this this is a movie that the fans are going to love. This is a movie casual fans are going to love. And Sony is going to make billions and billions and billions of dollars. And it is well-deserved. Thank you for setting this right. Yeah, thank definitely. you for Thank you for, for doing this. And hey, Sony, maybe you should listen to the people at Marvel a bit more. And maybe you should take some of their advice about what you're doing with your Venom movie and your Silver and Black movie and these other things. Because the direction you're going might not be as good. Listen to the people who understand the intellectual property because they very obviously helped you nail this. Yeah, I'm really, really hoping... Because it's already getting fantastic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. uh, And obviously... As it should. Uh, I'm really hoping though that this movie makes them all the money in the world, uh, so that they would like, like you mentioned, rethink their idea of not putting Venom in the MCU because y'all need to be doing this. It works. It works really, really well. So uh, take Marvel's Olive Branch and extend it throughout all the rest of your franchises. <laughs> you know what? What you need to do. There was a little tease in here, and it's very perfect. Yes. That I know where you're going. It, 
I, I think I think there's a tease in here that it means that Miles Morales is somewhere kicking around in this universe. Make a Miles Morales movie. Yeah. Make a make a Spider Gwen movie. Do that. Don't who who cares about Black Cat and Silver Sable? Well, okay. I kind of care about Black Cat because <laughs> but I, I like Black Cat. She's she's hot. <laughs> That's horrible, but um, I, I I think you could do something cool with a Black Cat movie. But it's not someone who people are going to be ex- excited about. If you did a Spider-Man Miles Morales movie, people would go ape sock. Yeah, exactly. It, it would do it would do so well. And if you did it well like you did this it could be amazing do that make your spider-man 2 with your peter parker but make your spider gwen movie make your miles morales movie that's where the money is that's where you need to go because people want to see that people want to see a fun teenager um with superpowers uh you know mouthing off and and fighting crime give it to us yeah exactly so Sony, since I know you listen to our podcast, make yep. <laughs> make sure you Amy do Pascal. This. <laughs> I, I I've seen I've seen your IP address downloading this podcast, Amy Pascal. I know you're listening. Yeah, and, and I've sure read you your emails. On, yeah, and pass them on to Kevin Feige because we know he we know he doesn't listen, but you should convince him to listen too. So, <laughs> so all right, well that's that's the end of it for this week. Uh, Spider Man Homecoming. Wow, they did it. They finally freaking did it, and. I, we, we couldn't be more excited. Uh, so uh, next week we've got the horror movie Wish Upon, which Andy, you're gonna have to tackle single-handedly because I will be out of state on vacation when that happens. So you'll have to do. Uh, let me know how that is because I doubt I will be seeing that in California while I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> as so, you should. As I should. So, anyways, uh, have a great week, and until then, hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Gas tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly, punk ass Messenger, though I don't know about something that you don't understand.